All right, gang. Well, we're going to go ahead and start. Uh, I want to welcome all of you. Come on in. Come on in. <clears throat> you can always tell when it's Summit when you pull up in that parking lot. You can always tell. Everybody's parked commando parking. I mean, we're ready, man. Right? Everybody's facing forward in those cars. I love it. And... Uh, Man, it's fun to kick off Summit with you men. My name is Blake Holmes. I have the privilege of being able to spend some time with you guys this morning and helping to lead our equipping ministry here at Watermark. And I first want to uh, just welcome all of you and thank you for coming. I, I realize and I hear this every time. We've been doing Summit, um, I don't know how many years, for years. And some of you have been following along with us for years. But I specifically want to talk to those who are here for the very first time. This is your very first time. Some of you, uh, I realize this is your first time even on our campus. Maybe a friend, coworker, or neighbor has said to you, hey, man, you should come try this. And, uh, and maybe they've harassed you a little bit. Maybe they've asked you uh, persistently, and uh, you're like, okay, hey, man, I'll go once if you'll just leave me alone. I, I've been there before, right? And um, that's exactly how I went into my first Bible study, candidly. I just got tired of some of my friends um, asking me to go to this particular group where uh, some young teenagers were meeting, and I just thought, man, if I just appease them and I go once, man, I, then I don't have to go again. And, uh, but I went, and I'm glad I did. And, uh, and I want to thank you for coming. You know, this is 6.30 in the morning, it's early. You men have a thousand things going on. You have a thousand things to do on your to-do list, but you've entrusted us with your morning. And, uh, and I thank you, I thank you for coming. And especially if you're here for the very first time, if you're on our campus for the first time, and wherever you are in your spiritual journey. Um, some of us, we're exploring the faith. We don't really know what we believe about God. Uh, we aren't sure that the Bible is trustworthy or reliable. We have some real questions, and there's nothing I love doing more than having the opportunity to sit down with those who have sincere, authentic questions about the faith. And we'd love to dialogue with you. We really would. We believe there's some good answers, and uh, our commitment to you is not to give you just the same old Bible study cliche answer, right, that you'd find on a, on a t-shirt in some Christian bookstore. But we want to dialogue with you. We want to hear you and uh, and understand what doubts and uh, suspicions you may have. There's others of you who are maybe new in the faith, and um, Bible study is a new thing for you, and when you walk in a room this big, it feels a little intimidating. It feels a little bit like, hey, am I going to be called on? And uh, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want anybody to call on me. I'm just here to learn, and I understand that as well. I understand that as well. And then there's others of us who have been walking the Lord for a long time, and we just need to be reminded, and we need to be encouraged that, uh, that hey, this, this long marathon is worth it, right? It's worth it. And uh, what you believe is true, and God is good. And we just need to be encouraged and refreshed and reminded we've been going after this for a long time. So wherever you are in your spiritual journey, we're excited you're here. Um, I kind of liken it, talking to a bunch of men in here, I imagine there's a lot of golf, golf players, right? A lot of guys who play golf. And uh, <clears throat> there's some of you who uh, kind of chase golf balls all through the woods. And then there's golfers, okay? Um, I, I fall more in the line of those who chase golf balls through the woods. 
I don't play enough to be good. But, uh, but man, it's, it's fun to be around men who uh, can really hit a golf ball. And when they hit that ball, you kind of have this sense of, man, how do you do that, right? But I'm always nervous when the first time I get put into a foursome, maybe you're, if you're like me, maybe if you've, there's two of you and then you go to this nice course and they throw you in with two more guys, you're like, eh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't want to hold them up and I don't want to look silly. And you, you know, everybody gets there and they're talking and trying to measure each other up and they get to the first tee and there's a little bit of nerves when you're on that first tee, is there not? It's like, hey, Lord, just don't let me shank the ball, right? Not on the first tee. And, uh, and we've got all the rules going through our head, right, about, and I'm no golfer, but, you know, at least keep your eye on the ball. You know, little things you hear, left arm straight, you know, and uh, turn your hips. And I, I understand, follow through, don't look up, all those things. And it doesn't matter how much information you got going through your head, all the rules and all the things you're supposed to do and have a good golf swing. Uh, you can have all the information in the world, but if you haven't practiced, uh, it's altogether very different to hit that ball well, right? Amen? All right. And so um, let me just tell you, I think there's a lot of us who have a lot of Bible knowledge. We, we could give a lot of instruction. We have a lot of the rules memorized, um, but not as many of us uh, have disciplined ourselves to apply all of that, to put it together, to play consistently. And, uh, and we could all become better golfers, right? The goal is not just to have more knowledge about the fundamentals of the game, the goal is to apply them. Doesn't matter how much you know, doesn't matter how well you know the rule book, right? If you don't score well, um, then no one's gonna say, hey, well, that's a really good golfer. So our goal here today, gang, is not for you just to have a lot of information, our goal here is for you to consider um, what it is like to have a relationship with the one true God. And we all have ground to take. We all have ground to take. No one is a perfect golfer. And so uh, with that introduction, let me just say uh, welcome once more. We're excited you're here. This is gonna be a great study. We are gonna cover uh, the book of Romans. Martin Luther said, about this book, he said, uh, it is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Some of you may be going, oh, what in the world? That's, that's high praise right there. You know, the Bible has 66 books in it. It's all one book. We have one book, but it's written over 1,500 years, primarily in two different languages. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek for the most part. And of all 66 books, you got Martin Luther, who is a name maybe you've heard before, but he's the, the one who st started the Protestant Reformation, um, who changed church history. And of all the books that are in the Bible, all 66, he's going, hey, this is the one that is worth all your time to study. And I spoke at the very beginning of the year at Watermark, if you were here on that Sunday, um, I made the case that, hey, if I could have one book and on a deserted island, and I only had one book to choose from, 
and I had to pick of all 66, what would it be? And it would be the book of Romans. Uh, this year, we're making a concerted effort to push everybody to the book of Romans. I hope you're following along on the journey. Uh, the journey, for those of you who don't know, is just a, a, our way to, um, as, a, as a church, to, as a church family, to read systematically through the scriptures. Um, we do it every year. You can go to jointhejourney.com, and you'll receive an email. It's just a prod, as a reminder, as an encouragement to you of what we're reading every day. We don't even read a lot of verses, right? It doesn't take you much time. But um, we're, we're making a concerted effort in our classes, obviously here and through Join the Journey, just to put Romans in front of you because we believe what Luther said right there, hey, this book is essential for us to understand. Not just to understand, but to apply to our lives. Because <clears throat> this book addresses the most essential aspects of our spiritual lives. And I'll touch on that here in a second. Um, so where are we going? Um, I, you know, I was in a a teacher conference not long ago, and it drove me a little crazy. I had all these teachers in this room. I don't have an education and background per se, but they were using acronyms and sayings and words I'd never heard before, just assuming that I knew what they were talking about. And as a guy who tries to communicate pretty consistently and tries to communicate clearly, I just had to stop and I go, hey, listen, I don't have a background what you're discussing right now. So these acronyms you're using and all these, this jargon, like you've got to put the cookies on the lower shelf for me. I mean, that's what I said. I don't know what you're talking about. So can you say it in a way in which somebody who doesn't have a background in education can understand? Nothing drives me more crazy than when I uh, go into a Bible study, right? And somebody's making the Bible harder than it needs to be. The Bible is meant to be understood. This book is meant to be understood. God wants you to understand the book of Romans. I don't want to communicate in such a way as you go, man, I'm never going to understand this. Yes, you can. And so I want to just give you a really simple overview of the book of Romans such that a child can understand it, that it's memorable. And you have a big picture view of where we're going. And it's four simple words. If you remember these four central words, you just cannot get lost. You can't get lost. You can open up the book of Romans, and if you remember, oh, okay, so in the first three chapters, he's addressing sin. Sin is anything we do that's contrary to the will of God. That is what sin is. Any action or thought that we have that's contrary to the will of God, he's going to address the problem with man in chapters one through three. That's called sin, Right? It's a church word we hear a lot, but it's just anything we do contrary to the will of God. And then chapters four through eight, he's gonna talk about salvation. How can we be rightly related to God given that we've all fallen short of his perfect righteous standard? How can man be rightly related to a perfect, righteous, holy God? That's chapters four through eight. He answers that question. Sovereignty, that's a big word, Right? Sovereignty just means that God is all-powerful, that he's in control of all people's circumstances. He's got the whole world in his hands, right? And nothing surprises him. He is completely in control. Despite your circumstance, despite what you read in the newspaper, God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. And then in chapters 12 through 16, he just talks about real practically how do we, as those who claim to know Jesus, how now are we to live a life that's honoring to the Lord and a blessing to other people? So that's the real simple outline of the book of Romans. Now, I would encourage you just to um, keep 
that in mind as you read through this book. We're, we're gonna cover chapters one through seven uh, this spring, and then we're gonna do eight through 16 in the fall. So we're gonna spend a year looking at this book, not only in the journey, but in our time together as well. The theme is the righteousness of God. Again, a big term right there. And, I, and really, when it speaks of the righteousness of God, it, it's talking about three things. It's talking about God's attribute, his divine attribute. Divine meaning of God, his attribute, his characteristic, who he is, that God is righteous. You see, gang, uh, Paul, who wrote this book, he's gonna make the argument that God is righteous, he's perfect, he's holy, he's good, that there is no sin in him, that all of his ways are right and good. But he's also gonna talk about his divine activity. He's gonna talk about that in his righteousness, in his perfection, in that standard, he doesn't just hold us to the standard and judge us because we can't reach that standard. He's gonna talk about what he has done to bridge the gap between a sinful people and a holy God. And then he's gonna talk about his divine achievement. When he talks about the righteousness of God, this theme that you're gonna see throughout every chapter, this word repeated, he's gonna talk about his divine achievement. What did Jesus Christ accomplish through the cross? And that's gonna be the focus of our time. What was Jesus doing on the cross and what happened through his death and his resurrection and its impact on us? So as you read this book, you wanna keep the short outline in mind, sin, salvation, sovereignty, and service. And you wanna ask yourself, hey, what does this chapter have to say about the righteousness of God. There's several unique features about the book, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, just real quick. It's interesting that Paul did not plant this church in Rome. Um, this is a letter that you're reading. It's a letter to the church, those who follow Jesus, believe in Jesus, uh, in the city of Rome. He had never visited this church when he had wrote it. Uh, it's the longest of his letters. It's, and the thing I think you're going to notice that I like about it, which makes it so memorable, you could just walk chapter by chapter through it, is it is very logical. Uh, Paul anticipates every question you're gonna ask. And oftentimes, he'll start the chapter with a question. Right In chapter six, that's exactly what he does. And it's a debate-like format. He makes an argument, he anticipates your response, and so he replies. So it's a very memorable book, it's very logical, it's very linear. <clears throat> and then uh, the other thing, a few other things just to note is that Paul quotes from the Old Testament more than all his 12 other letters combined. See, Paul was a Pharisee. He was well acquainted with the Old Testament. He understood Jesus' connection and fulfillment of the Old Testament law. And he's going to show us how all of our Bible fits together, that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. It's all one book. There's uh, an extensive treatment on these major themes like sin and justification by faith, which we'll explain once we, when we get there, and what it means to live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord and, um, and what God is doing through and what his plan is for the nation of Israel. Uh, we have all of that to look forward to, but what's, what's interesting is, is it closes with, as I told you, he had never visited the church in Rome, but he, he closes with greeting close to 30 some odd people. 
which just tells you that for Paul, this is more than just intellectual uh, a transfer of knowledge, that the gospel is highly personal. His ministry was highly personal. And um, it says a lot about, a lot about him, um, the way he loved people. <clears throat> I want to... I want to touch on uh, this last thing because this is the central argument of the book. And that is, how is man rightly related to God, as I mentioned before? And this could be illustrated like this. All right? How is man rightly related to God? And I want to encourage you to think about this. I want to encourage you to think about this in the terms of if God were to ask you today, hey, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer that question? Well, there's typically three answers that are most commonly given, right? And the first answer many people give is they go, hey, listen, um, I'm a pretty good person. The good has outweighed the bad. And, um, you know, when you consider that I'm not as bad as that guy, and we compare ourselves to that guy over there, when you compare uh, me to that guy, uh, I'm... I'm doing okay. And so what we're depending upon is our behavior, our works. And then there's others who recognize that, hey, listen, um, there's nothing I can do to merit God's favor. There's nothing I can do to earn his love. That God's standard is perfection. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while our life was still a mess, God in the person of Jesus Christ came lived a perfect life, died a horrific death, was crucified, was buried, and three days rose again. And so because, of his, because Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, died on the cross, he, was, he served as our substitute. He served, he paid our penalty. <clears throat> he took our place. And so now he's the, he's the only bridge, he's the only mediator, the only means by which a sinful people can be right related to a holy, perfect God. He's the bridge through the cross and resurrection of Christ. And so what Romans is going to argue is simply this, is that through his death, burial, and resurrection, you can be rightly related to him, but it has nothing to do with how good you are, how many times you've been to church, how well you know your Bible, how much you've given what you've done for charity, whether or not you've cheated on your taxes, has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with in whom you've trusted. And so Paul's gonna make the argument, hey, you can trust in your works, you can trust in the grace of God, his unmerited favor through Jesus Christ, or you can hedge your bets and you can pick the circle in the middle and go, well, I think it's a little bit of what I do, and I think it's a little bit of what Jesus has done for me. And that is how I'm going to be rightly related to God. Because, gang, Hebrews 9, 27 says, hey, that after death, every one of us is going to face judgment. Every one of us is actually going to be asked that question. Hey, how can you be rightly, rightly related to God? And we've got these three choices. So think about it right now. If you were to ask that, be asked that question, hey, why should I let you into my heaven? If the Lord were to ask you that, how would you answer it? Would you pick one of those three? And here's what I want you to see, the logical conclusion of these answers, is that if you say, hey, the good outweighs the bad, then essentially what you're arguing is, is that 
Christ's death on the cross was unnecessary. That he died unnecessarily. Because you have the ability through your own righteous works and standard and morality, you can earn and merit God's favor. If you pick the one in the middle, what you're arguing is, hey, his death was disappointing. Right? I mean, it kind of filled, it kind of meets you halfway, but it didn't really accomplish all that it was intended to. It's only when we recognize that, hey, um, it is through the cross of Christ and his resurrection that this is a free gift that's extended to me, and then when I receive it, that Christ's death on the cross was sufficient. Sufficient. That's the central argument that you're going to see Paul walk through in this whole book. Chapters 1 through 7, that's what we're looking at. These are the titles for each chapter. He's going to argue in chapter uh, 1 through essentially 320. He's going to say, hey, we're all, all of us, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in need of a Savior. I don't need to convince you of that. He's going to argue the world is broken. And he says, hey, if you grew up in a religious home, right, if you were Jewish, or you've never had any remote interest in, in church, in the things of God, we are all guilty. That's the argument he's going to make. But he's going to say that, hey, you know how you can be rightly related to God? Through his grace. And then he's going to argue that Abraham, Abraham is the father of the Hebrew people. He was saved not by what he did, but by the trust he placed in God. That's chapter 4. Chapter 5, he's going to talk about the blessings of faith. What happens when we choose to believe in God? We trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for us. If you want encouragement today, read chapter five. Look ahead and look at how we have peace with God. We've been reconciled with God. We're children of God. Nothing can change that, folks. And then chapter six, he's gonna answer the question, well, if that's true, if, if what you're saying is true, that I am rightly related to God, not based on what I've done, but, but only because of whom I have trusted, can I just live however I want? Can I just do whatever I want? And he's going to address licentiousness, that way of thinking. And then finally, he's going to address in chapter 7, he's going to have a warning about legalism. This idea that once you're saved, well, then maybe if you can add to your salvation by um, trying to carry out the works of the law, maybe that will please God even more. And he's going to talk about the purpose of the law, and he's going to say, hey, that's just not the case. That's where we're going. This is a book, gang, for all of us. It's a, it's a, it's a book for all of us. We're all in need of God's grace. And you need to realize that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, there's a God in heaven who loves you. And you need to realize that you, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. And some of us have got to stop trying to earn his love, and some of us have, have got to come out of the dark, okay, and, and of shame and guilt and just go, hey, Lord, I, I need help. And that's why we're here. Not just to acquire more knowledge, but so that we can be reminded of the truth, we can grow closer in our relationship with the Lord. And if I could just put one image in front of you, 
for some of you, what you've heard me say this morning, you're like, Blake, I know all this. Like, I've heard this. I believe this. Okay, well, one, I hope you're, you preach the gospel to yourself every day because you need it. Your, your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. That's what you need to remember. And your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the need of God's grace. The reach of God's grace, rather. I'm sorry. Right? Let me say it again. Your best days are never so great that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And your worst days, hey, you're never so far you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And we've got to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. I want to put this image in front of you um, for those of us who, who understand what it is that Jesus has done for us. Last summer, you may have heard this story. There was a young boy on the Florida beaches who was uh, caught up in a rip current. And if you can imagine both perspectives, you're out there with your family, right? You're the young boy, you're swimming pretty closely beside them, and then all of a sudden, you're swept off to sea. And there is nothing you can do. You're horrified, you're panic-stricken. I mean, can you imagine that a rip current, right, that, that undercurrent of that, that tide grabs you and pulls you out into the sea? You've got to be thinking, hey, I'm completely helpless. I am drowning. And then I'm, and now I want you to imagine if you're the father and you're on the other side of that and what you would do. You're, this, this ocean renders you powerless. How are you then able to save your boy? Well, I don't know if you know the story, but I want you to see what several people decided to do in order to reach this young boy. Let's go back. This isn't working very well, is it? There we go. It's a true story. It's a picture of what happened that day. Um, probably about 100 people or so locked arms. And in locking arms, they were able to support one another, and they reached that young kid. I mean, I saw that on the news, and I just thought, that is amazing. And they interviewed the boy and they interviewed that, his mom who just could not have been more thankful for what all those people did in risking their lives to reach that young kid. And they reached him and they together brought him back in. That's powerful, isn't it? Guys, there's about 500 or so of you signed up for Summit. Many of you understand intellectually what I've communicated today. And when was the last time you had a conversation with somebody who was far from the Lord, who, all intents and purposes, is fighting something that's much bigger than just a riptide. And they need to be reminded of what you know, told of what you know. I hear people say it all the time. They say it all the time. They say to me, you know what? <clears throat> Came into right relationship with the Lord. I mean, I'd never, no one had ever shared the gospel with me. The gospel, the good news, how to be rightly related to the Lord. No one had ever shared that with me. It was like I heard it for the first time. And I always said that, and I go, I bet that's not true. I mean, sure it's true for some. But typically what ha happens is, is you hear it, and you just don't understand it. And you hear it, and your heart's closed to it. And then you hear it, and then you hear it, and then you hear it, and then you hear it. And all of a sudden, like you've heard it for the first time, it's like it clicks. Wow, God loves me. 
There's nothing I can do in order to merit his favor. He desires a relationship with me. I can be rightly related to him through the provision of his son. And gang, some of you right now, you're working with folks who, uh, they're out in the ocean, and God has you in that workplace to make a difference. And who knows who God is sending out in that ocean, a line of men, a line of men and women to reach your brother, your son, your neighbor, and those you love. And God intends to use us. And I hope when we gather every week, we come together and we realize, hey, this isn't just about me. This is also so how I can take what it is I'm learning and be a blessing and an encouragement to other men and women in my community, in my workplace. As you know, we just buried a Richardson police officer here on this campus. A SWAT officer was tragically killed. It was moving moving to be here and to see thousands of law enforcement officers here. And, um, and fortunately, there was one in our body who was faithful to love and minister and spend time with and engage that SWAT officer such that he came into right relationship with Jesus because he was living on mission every day. And as tragic as it is, and it is tragic, that that officer lost his life, it would even be more tragic if there wasn't one who said, hey man, let me tell you how you could have a relationship with Jesus. So we've got, we've got a mission today that's much bigger than your to-do list and the bottom line and bank accounts and clients. And I hope we get to be a part of that today. I hope you are reminded and refreshed by the men who are with you. I hope that if you don't understand or you're hearing this, what feels like for the first time, you'll raise your hand, you'll say something. If you have doubts, I hope you'll let us engage you. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I wanna thank you for the clarity of your word and for the, um, just the blessing it is to gather with other men who are living for something much more than golf and vacation, and the bottom line at work, who see themselves as ambassadors for Christ. I thank you for these men, Lord, who, uh, many who are here for the first time, who have just, are taking a chance. Is this thing gonna be weird? People are gonna call on me. What about my doubts? Thank you, Lord, for having, allowing them to have the courage to come and just for trusting us with their time. I thank you, Lord, for those who, um, who have been here uh, semester after semester, season after season, who are just faithfully, Lord, uh, running hard after you. And for all of us, Lord, who are on the fence, somewhere in the middle, would you prod our hearts today and help us to see that you want some, so much more for our lives than what this world is chasing after. This is a broken world, Lord, where police officers are tragically murdered, where students walk into schools and start shooting at random. And, um, and this world cannot explain that. 
but we know that through your word that despite tragedy in this broken world, there's hope. So may we be your ministers wherever you send us today. In Christ's name, amen.